Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Living through a pandemic, the last two years have been ones that few of us have anticipated. Nearly 18 months of fear, suspicion, mask wearing, losing the freedom to assess the risks we take for ourselves and act accordingly, being locked inside. For us adults, these 18 months mark a small proportion of a rich life and represent a relatively short period. But for many children, this past year and a half represents most of what they can remember. How will this have impacted their long-term development, their ability to interpret and exist in our world, and how will it affect their courage? With me today is Lucy Elphinston, the headmistress of Francis Holland School, Sloan Square, As a head, she believes her job is to inspire the children she teaches, to get them excited about living and existing in the world that we do. Post-pandemic, this is more important than ever. She wrote recently, There is a glorious world out there waiting to be discovered. There is a suffering world out there waiting to be helped. There is a world of treasure and talent from within children waiting to be released. Lucy, thank you so much for your time today. I loved actually what, what, what you were writing about um, how the pandemic had affected children. But obviously as a head teacher, you're uniquely positioned to observe how this pandemic has affected children. I want to talk a little bit about the sort of short-term effects. What have you noticed um, in the short term? Hmm. Well, first of all, Marina, I suppose we tend to think that automatically everything about the past year and a half has been disastrous. And... Uh, first of all, I'd just like to say that in some ways, for some children, for some families, this hasn't been all pain and disaster. You know, some parents <clears throat> have talked to me about the joy of spending time with their children at last and eating together and discussing feelings and ideas and learning more about one another. And even though they've been shut in together, to spend time together, particularly if parents are away working or uh, just out from the house most of the time, I think some parents have and children have really enjoyed that. And for some children for whom the life at school can be uh, sometimes overwhelming, to be quietly at home working online has actually been a time of peace for them. But having said all that, I think it's quite rare because many children, of course, have been at home and they've watched their parents tearing each other apart, their parents losing their jobs, um, parents drinking too much, uh, or they haven't had enough to eat because um, jobs have been lost. And uh, I think for many children, this has caused such trauma and such pain. So when schools opened, we all welcomed the children back with such excitement. And I suppose, naively, we all thought 
We'll just go back to normal. It'll be as it was, albeit with masks and hand sanitizer. And they probably thought that too. Yes, exactly. Well, indeed, you said the short-term effects because in the first week you wouldn't really have known that anything had happened because there was such excitement. And in a girls' school, there's just a lot of noise, a lot of shrieking, <laughs> and uh, within their bubbles, a lot of hugging, which was lovely to see. Um, but you know, not very very long after, we began to see the, uh, the effects emerging. Um, and for some, it was short-term or, or immediate in that we saw that for all the, the hugging and the shrieking, generally speaking, for some girls, they were hanging back they'd forgotten the art of being friends. They'd forgotten the art of uh, personal uh, face-to-face conversation. And they'd lost confidence in their friendship groups and where they fitted in with them. And so girls clung to a group. If they found a friend, the, the idea of a best friend became more important to some, and they clung to that friend or to that group, which meant, of course, others were left out. And so quite quickly we began to see these social problems amongst the the younger children I'm talking about. These are um, anything in our junior school in in years four, five and six and then on up through seven, eight and nine I suppose. Um, uh, So those were the the sort of immediate uh, concerns. Of course the world talked about the loss of learning and for some schools, um, particularly in the state sector, I know that's been a a terrible worry. but, in, but for our school, we were lucky enough to be able to have moved quickly into online lessons. And broadly speaking, the children were so privileged as to generally have laptops where our bursary children didn't. We supplied laptops for them. And so they were able to access their learning. So a loss of learning wasn't the immediate thing that we worried about. It was the social and emotional effect. So you said short term, I'd say social. The emotional effects came later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, social is a big part of school, learning how to find your tribe and how to engage yes. with the people that you get on with, but also the people that you're potentially a bit fearful of, a bit intimidated yeah. by, or maybe don't like very much. That's all a big part of the school experience. And mm. I presume, too, that, you know, some relationships change. Some children that were on social media, some children that engaged a lot during the pandemic on online, mm their relationships evolved and so Mm. then the children that didn't do so much of that found they came back to school and they're suddenly within an environment where Mm. relationships have evolved but without them and then that's a a very scary situation to be in potentially. Yeah you're exactly right Uh, of course uh, it's not as if these children were sort of they were in isolation physically but not uh, uh, um, in terms of their communication and it was all communication online apart from illicit meetings up in the park, I suppose. But uh, but many children were not only meeting each other online and engaging in different sorts of friendships and relationships from the ones they had in school. And you have children yourself, Marina, and though I hope not yet old enough to be on social media, but the language that they use on social media and the personae that they adopt are very different from those that they have in real life. And so girls... I think, sorry, young people started, children started to live a sort of virtual uh, reality, uh, a virtual life online and portrayed themselves in ways that 
they're not, they weren't in real life. And that's both for, for apparent good and for bad. They presented their best side, but sometimes their worst side, And as we hear about cyberbullying and intimidation and that sort of thing. But also, and what became apparent and very worrying, is what the children were accessing online. And it's all very well to say how wonderful it was the girls became so adept at using technology and... Uh, um, uh, and yes, that was a wonderful teaching tool, but they also became incredibly adept at surfing the internet. And uh, distraught parents trying to work from home just didn't have time to police uh, and monitor what these children were up to. And as we know, and as I've said so often, the legal age for being on these social media sites are generally 13. Um, to be on uh, to be li on live chat on TikTok is 16. WhatsApp is 16, and yet there's hardly uh, an 11 or 12 year old who isn't on social media, despite my constant pleadings. And uh, and that I think has given children access to all sorts of things that I think have been deeply distressing um, to them and uh, um, distorting their their understanding of reality and what relationships are. Mm. And also it's largely unpoliced, you know, usually when they're in school, they're in an environment where there is some adult, responsible adult who's being paid yeah. to look out for them. And, and it's very difficult. You're trying to work and you're just, you know, asked every moment. You can't, you know, you can't be with your children no, the you whole can't. time. And, that was and they're being encouraged to be online, of course. And so they can easily say, well, I'm doing my schoolwork or what have you. Uh, but uh, one shout out I have to make is about TikTok, because that has, has been the most popular platform that children have accessed at, at far too young an age and I, I think probably the most pernicious uh, because I think girls have been, girls in particular have been emulating singers and, and influencers and you know lip syncing to songs that, that are violent and, and are about sexual violence and I hope they don't understand what they're singing but I think that they, they think it's incredibly cool and what started out as quite naive and fun dances that they made in their bedrooms and sent to their friends, they started to push the barriers more and more because it looked so cool and start to dance to ever more concerning or hardcore sort of mm. songs. Um, and you know, it was a sort of self-perpetuating thing. I think they frightened themselves in a way at what they got into, whilst at the same time being hideously drawn to the horrible glamour of it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And so, I mean, you were saying in the first week of term or the first few weeks of term, the social aspect was, was really evident for mm. you. Would you say that children have relearned to socialise in the sort of, well, months now that they've been back at school? I know we've obviously had two lockdowns uh, last year. Well, one this year, one last year. Would you say that they have largely relearned that ability to socialise? Not fully. I mean, to some extent, yes. But some, so many of the um, aspects of school life that we've all taken for granted for years and w which were particularly strong at our school, we haven't been able to resume. And you mentioned the emotional being the sort of long-term effect. Mm. How, what do you mean by that? What, what are the, how does that manifest itself? Mm. 
So, all these months of being in physical isolation from one another, but in contact on social media, um, has had all sorts of effects. Um, uh, I mean, I've talked about some of the effects of the, the loss of identity and the resumption of false identities, virtual identities, um, uh, and how harmful that, that was been. But I think um, what has been particularly uh, apparent is that they, the children, well, all of us, have been in an atmosphere of fear and anxiety. And the what we've gone through in the past 18 months I think at the start of this pandemic, we would never have thought was possible. We would not have thought that in liberal, libertarian Britain, that you could say to a nation, you are going to lock down, not to us, other countries maybe. But we did lock down. And, and I've, I think we've had a, a message, a sort of propaganda and a indoctrination that we wouldn't have thought possible, which has been quite literally mind altering. And children, even those happily at home with their parents, have been in an atmosphere of constant low-level and sometimes high-level adrenaline of fight or flight um, and fear and anxiety. And that has affected many, many adults, and I'm sure you and I all know friends and good friends that we wouldn't have imagined could become so paranoid and so fearful of going outside. Um, and so for young children who, as you said earlier, have almost known nothing except this the last 18 months, this is so bewildering, and the worst thing for them is that they're helpless, and they are just, they've always expected that their parents will sort everything out, and suddenly their parents haven't been able to make life better for them, take the pain away. And they're and often it, scared. Yes, exactly. So they've seen their parents frightened. That is very, very uh, unnerving for a child. And so I think this sense of constant fear and anxiety has really undermined their equilibrium. We have some control of our lives, but they had none. And so the most marked thing is seeing children trying to gain some control. And that has manifested itself most obviously in an alarming rise in eating disorders and in self-harm. And all schools all over the country have re reported this. And Place to Be, the um, counselling charity, has reported a 109% rise in eating disorders and, and, and a 300% rise in self-harm. Um, and a sort of similar thing in, in suicidal thoughts, etc. And this is so, so worrying. Admissions to hospital, half children's wards, I was reading, are taken up now with mental health patient, children patients. Um, and so, the, you know, the children try to claw back some sense of control in a world that is bewildering and out of control. It's interesting, you know, how important the parents are in that dynamic. I remember speaking to a child um, psychiatrist actually at the beginning of the pandemic, and she said, Marina, the thing you've got to understand is that what the children will remember about the pandemic is not about what happened, it's about how you interpreted it. And so if you are going to be terrified they're going to be terrified too. Yes. Whereas if you say, do you know what, we're, we're absolutely fine, we're going to be together, we're going to do what the law says, but we're going to exist and we'll, we will be fine, that's what they will remember. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. And the trouble is they've had a double whammy that is not only, of course, their parents they've seen being frightened in a way they never could have imagined, which has been so unnerving, but they've come to school. And whilst I think we at Francis Holland pride ourselves on the incredibly happy and warm and strong and positive environment where we emphasise resilience and independence, and we're a Christian school, so we've got all that sort of sense of love and community, but even so, our teachers are human too, and they may be parents as well. Um, 
But for teachers, they've not only had the pandemic, but all this chaos of the GCSEs and A-levels as well. And, um, and this constant barrage of, um, of fear through the media that children have lost learning and that they have been set back so much and that, uh, and I suppose I've just said it too, the chaos of the examination system. And now more and more, and this is something I fully support, the fact that the education system is so outmoded and this whole system of GCSEs and A-levels is not preparing children now for, for a world which has changed completely. So they're seeing not only their parents unnerved and frightened, but they've seen their teachers uh, unsettled, anxious, anxious about whether they have you know, missed out on their learning and whether they need to be pushed. So the, you know, I, I don't like to think that that's the case here, but I'm sure there'll be some of our teachers who have been very, very anxious about the GCSEs and A-levels because we're rewarding the grades upon us. The whole thing rides and uh, against us will be the appeals if the children don't get the results that they're wanting. So I think it's, it's incredibly difficult for children. There's no escape. Is there home or school? There's no. no safe place anymore. No, and I think the other thing, I've talked to teachers who've said, if teaching going forward was always going to be online, this isn't the job for me. Yeah. It's not what, the, what I signed up for, and it's not the way that I love engaging. And so mm. in terms of the actual teaching, not only has the experience not been ideal for the children at home, it's also not been ideal for the teachers who weren't trained to teach yeah. online. You, yeah. Everyone was trained to teach in a classroom. We've all uh, you know, praised or clapped us on the back and said we've done so well, but actually it has been so exhausting. And any of us who have been on Zoom all day will know how stressed you feel because you just don't have the normal clues that you have to follow the conversation and the concentration you have to apply is dreadful. And one thing that we have realised, and I've been talking to my lead counsellor yesterday about this, um, as our older girls face their assessments for their GCSEs in inverted commas and A-levels, um, they have come to revise for these assessments or exams and have looked at topics and thought, I've never seen this before in my life, even though they have diligently been at every lesson online. And what has hardly been talked about yet is that online learning doesn't give you the sort of deep learning that you learn in a classroom. So learning has to go into our long-term memory for it to stick. Um, and that's why we have to practice our times table and this sort of thing. And that's short-term memory. Get it in the long-term, you'll never forget it. But that we haven't got that deep learning. And so girls have turned up and teachers have been teaching like mad. But the real deep learning and the, the deep concentration and the reading is not there. It's all bite-sized stuff, you know. And, and that is deeply worrying as we go forward. And so just doing more of the same, doing more online tutoring in the summer holidays, as is being suggested, it's not going to help. Children have got to be in front of the teachers as much as possible. But also, it isn't just plugging them with more information in the class. Of course, it is about the child's well-being. So the more actually that schools can pay attention now to the emotional effects that we've just been touching upon and build up the, the children's um, resilience and um, confidence again, then I think the learning will follow. Mm. I mean, one of the things that I've really struggled with this year and this over, over the last 18 months has been I think it's the first time I've experienced not being allowed to make my own decisions. Mm. And even as a child, you know, you're given a degree of autonomy. Yes. You make small decisions. And this year was extraordinary in that suddenly we were told what we could and couldn't do. How has that impacted children? Because obviously, 
obviously a lot of decisions are taken for them as they are children but actually as they get older it's really important to involve them in the decision making Mm. has seeing their parents and their peers and their teachers not being in charge of the decisions they make affected them Mm. well I I think that's absolutely true I mean it's really concerning for them isn't it to see the people that they trust to be uh, powerful to see them powerless and therefore how much more powerless will they feel and helpless and so as I said to try to regain control or assert control or assert some sort of uh, autonomy and independence is how they've reacted. We've talked about eating disorders of course to control what you eat is a very obvious way. Uh, cutting yourself, harming yourself is a way of showing your, your distress uh, but also crying out for, for help. Um, uh, I think also a lot of my fellow heads have talked about a real deterioration in behaviour and I think this partly stems from what I've talked about, what the, what the children have seen online and the sort of aggressive um, anti-establishment um, music, uh, games and, and that sort of thing that they've seen and, and, in, and played in. But also we mustn't forget that alongside the pandemic has been two major, uh, actually three, major sort of worldwide upheavals the first is Black Lives Matter. Uh, the second is climate change, which preceded, you know, well, climate change has been much longer, but Greta Thunberg, the climate marches, young ch- children going out and marching, that has created, again, so much anxiety and insecurity. It's wonderful that young people are standing up and trying to make a difference to the world around them, but they're being made to feel that the whole answer lies with them. Mummy and Daddy have failed. You've got to save the world now. So there's that. And then, of course, latterly, everyone's invited. So, again, it's increased their sense. The world is in deep trouble. Um, Particularly for girls, the world is a dangerous place. You know, okay, you've been locked up for 18 months, but that's safer than going out in the park. Whereas on the other hand, some girls have said, I'm going to go to the park because that's where I'm going to be brave. I'm going to show, I'm going to rebel, I suppose. So there's been some rebellious... Uh, risk-taking behaviour. Adolescents must take risks. It's part of their, you know, brain development. And we know that's always been the case. But younger girls and boys are now taking risks um, out in in London, out in parks and on the streets, um, whilst others are hiding away in their homes and being frightened to go out. So, you know, in these self-harming things of of eating disorders, uh, trying alcohol, trying um, uh, drugs and that sort of thing at a younger age than we might ever have known it before. Um, I think these are some of the ways they're trying to regain control in a world that, that appears out of control. Well, in, in a way, actually, two years ago, you know, you'd have to do something relatively bad to break the law. And in the last year and a half, you know, you could just stop to talk to someone on a bench and that would effectively be breaking the law. And I wonder whether that's maybe altered people's perception of law breaking. So they think, well, we actually did meet with another family the other day in the park. So we broke the law. So I might as well experiment some drugs or do something that is genuinely potentially risky. I think you're absolutely right. I think the the boundaries have been blurred, haven't they, between right and wrong and good and evil. And, And a lot of the parents from very... Um, way back were breaking the law themselves and so I think yes you, the children of course will say well so it, oh it doesn't matter then you know um, and I think 
some parents have been so overwhelmed, so overwrought by everything, by their businesses looking as if they're going to go under, by working from home, by having, you know, several children uh, around them. And their relationships often too. Absolutely, all falling apart. That, you know, when things started to ease up a little bit, they've been only too happy to say to their children, yeah, you go out, go out, just get out of my God, thank goodness I, I can have a... I saw that when children, uh, parents drop their children back at school. Oh my gosh, I can now go back and have a, reclaim a bit of my life. But I think there's been, in some parts of London, you know, children unsupervised at being allowed to go out and desperate to just try and experiment a little bit and, and just break out all this pent-up feeling and emotion. They want to uh, express it. Uh, but they felt out of control because, they, as you said, they no longer know where the boundaries are. So they've come back to school to us where we have very clear boundaries as a Christian school and where they hear a message they haven't heard for a long time, that they are so loved and every child matters here and no one goes under the radar and and they're finding it difficult to sort of assimilate that message again, whereas before it was all accepted and we were such a, a happy family. So trying to re-establish um, these boundaries and these rules without alienating the children, without, you know, we want them to see that we're doing this from a place of love and care because we, we, we know that they will feel safe and they'll feel happier if they see very clearly where, where they will step over a line. And having said all that, I'm constantly talking about break out of the box, think differently, be innovative, be creative. So I don't want them being too good, but, but break out in a way that's safe to them and in a way hopefully that will bless and, and heal other people rather than harm. Well, I mean, one of the things you wrote that really struck a chord with me is that, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were telling the children, you know, be courageous, take risks. That is a really key part of enjoying life. And then we've just had the pandemic where we've been told, don't go out without a face mm. mask, don't hug people. And it, it, it all sort of shrouded in fear. And that it, it's it, it's an extraordinary situation where they've been told to be brave and now we've basically said don't be brave because that's too risky as I said before we've lost the ability to assess risk for ourselves and work yeah. out what is is worth taking mm. um, and how how are we going to re reintroduce that ability to be courageous into their lives because mm. I do think that is so important I mean you, you, mm. you, you compared them to in The Hobbit Frodo Baggins not wanting to, to take the risks not wanting to go on this journey and yet he emerged from it stronger and wiser and more loved and more and yeah. happier yeah. Um, and I do feel that listen some children will be more of a risk taker and they're, but they're probably not as good as assessing risk so they're maybe taking the wrong risks yeah. but we can't live in a totally risk averse world and we can't be bringing up a generation of children to think oh no I, I can't take risks. Mm, I couldn't agree more and of course the world needs this more than ever uh, a world that's utterly changed by the, the pandemic with so much need that we've become aware of out there we must be uh, developing our children to go out and and be the change be the difference in society and as I say heal the world that is in so many ways broken we, we are fortunate here because yes you know from reading my blogs or whatever that we talk about risk taking all the time and we've seen for many many years that the problem particularly with girls I'm in girls education is their fear of failure and their perfectionism and the pandemic has accentuated this you know don't, don't as you say don't take risks so just be very careful to working very very hard and just get an A grade you know, as if that was the be all and end all of education but we've always had this um, uh, ethos um, of taking risks you must encounter failure if you're not encountering failure then you, you're not living on the edge you're not you're not trying hard enough um, and 
uh, I mentioned earlier some of the things that we do to build that sense of um, courage and um, and confidence. Sport is so important. Drama, music, um, art as well. All the performing and creative arts to be expressive, to um, <clears throat> have a go at things, to learn new skills. The, to be a bit frightened. Absolutely. That's so important. Well, one of my favourite mantras is do it scared. And, you know, we women, we girls, I'm afraid, so often wait until we know nothing can go wrong before we try it. And the girls here day after day in our fantastic assemblies, not just from me, but from all the staff, ways in which they can do it scared and stories about how we ourselves have done it scared. And we are, uh, as a staff, we are very ready to share our fears. And I do readily as well, you know the things that I do they're amazed when they hear that I'm often still scared when I get up and do assembly because it matters to me that I you know speak to them in a way that that makes a difference for them um, but nobody finds things easy but the joy of breaking through your fear as Frodo did and discovering something within you that you never knew existed so all these uh, performing and creative arts the sport the adventures and expeditions um, uh, and also incredibly important is service and as a Christian school you know this is at the centre of what we believe that your life is only giving given meaning when you give and you serve and so all our children in school have to go out into the community well it's their joy to do so and and physically serve serve whether it's visiting um the elderly or uh, working in a soup kitchen or with our um partner charity down in battersea which is called Catherine load settlement and then the final thing which i think is preparing girls here anyway and i think all schools should be doing this for the world beyond school is that we teach all our girls how to set up their own business so uh, we've um, just established a young entrepreneurs academy um, and we're in various ways at every single year group through our junior school too we're teaching girls gradually the skills of setting up a business and not simply to make money and become rich absolutely not but what we've we teach them what social enterprise is that through their skills and their time their talent their treasure they can make a difference and be that be the change they can see the needs in society and they might have within themselves the ability to be the answer perhaps not alone but by building a team around them and so our, our sixth one in particular which has just entered the most incredible new building which we've acquired is this wonderful bridge between the world of school and the community beyond which it can serve in terms of volunteering but it can also change in terms of business ideas so even in year eight I think 17 girls have already set up their own businesses and we have entrepreneurs in residence and we run all sorts of courses and enrichment programs throughout each year group so that the girls learn what it is to take an idea from concept right through to the market and then all the girls give uh, a tenth a tithe of what they make in profit back to some charity or partner of ours. I mean, I've got to say, I think running a business for me has always been the most rewarding thing. I did Young Enterprise mm. when I was at school oh. and, and it was the thing. I wasn't particularly sporty or that good at drama, but it was that was my niche and that just changed everything for me. Yeah. It was, you know, putting yourself out of your comfort zone. It was working hard because you really cared about the outcome. Yeah. It was standing up and blagging sometimes when you didn't know the answer. I've been watching Dragon's Den with my children because they've been doing something <laughs> Well, our lead entrepreneur has, has was on Dragon's Den on the first programme and 
and has now a dragon investing in her. So, you know, that's very much up our street. Yes, carry on. But um, <coughs> I think there's so much to be learned from mm. it, and especially when it kind of comes to courage. You don't always know the answer, mm. but that doesn't mean you can't always stand up and say, but I am passionate about this. And yeah. sometimes you wing it a little bit. And that actually is a really good skill in yeah. terms of life. And, and once you've 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 done that and you've achieved that and you've confronted that fear of standing up or selling something or whatever it is you just feel so much more confident yeah. about every part of your life yeah you're absolutely right marina you're about the only other woman who's echoed my words which i i, I ended up on on national uh, media because I said girls need to know how to blag it they need to learn how to wing it a bit and the sisterhood all said well you know you're teaching girls how to lie no I'm just teaching them to play the same game as their brothers do Mm -hmm. and their fathers do you know don't wait until you're absolutely sure nothing can go wrong but do it scared and just have the courage if you're passionate enough as you say get up uh, and do it and you know education's got it all wrong what are we doing focusing solely on these GCSEs and A-levels what good is that going to do there aren't many employers who are going to be very impressed if you know our, our sixth formers leave and go off to university in three years' time, just wave a piece of paper saying, "Here's my degree. Who's going to employ me now?" When a, ch- a world has changed so much, so we need girls, uh, young people, to go out and be the job makers, not the job takers. And do you think that there's potentially COVID and this pandemic and this extraordinary two years that we will have had? I mean, often it takes upheaval to facilitate change Mm. do you think that this is potentially I mean you've been talking about sort of reflecting on the exam system and whether that is Mm. a very good way of assessing children Um, but do you think there is potential for us to reflect on how we bring up children how the education system works how we engage with our children that will come about as a result of the the pandemic most definitely and and Never more so than, or or not more so than in London, where I think there is an absolute academic sausage factory going on. You know, you put in the sausage meat and you're just meant to churn out these little academic sausages at the end, all looking the same. I I was appalled when I came to London some years ago and for the first time and understood the system here. The 11 plus, for instance, uh, I think is is spawn of Satan, probably, and (laughs) needs to be abolished. And I'm chair of the consortium of 14 schools in London, and I'm doing my best to sort of work us towards actually getting rid of this and I'm full of admiration for the Thomas's group of schools which has got rid of it and and is getting rid of GCSEs too and is genuinely talking about character education a holistic education and preparing children very definitely with the skills that will enable them to be uh, you know helpful and and wholesome human beings and citizens so our our system is completely outmoded it it is the same um, system exactly as I took all those decades ago and um, it needs a radical rethink it's a Victorian system absolutely indeed and it it is just dead in the water not even uh, the Victorians thought it was particularly good the exams (laughs) it's been downhill ever since it is so ridiculous and it's just not preparing children so um, yeah I think more Heads, more schools have to be brave. But, you know, the, the state system, of course, that's 93% of children are educated in the state system and their ability to uh, do things radically different is so limited. And I'm just very grateful that I'm in an independent school where we can do things very differently, hence setting up an Entrepreneurs' Academy and, you know, pushing towards a very different form of entrance into our school and selection and saying unashamedly we're not simply looking for children who have got a very high verbal reasoning quotient. We're looking for, you know, the the children who are creative. 
dyslexic children, they're a wonder. What a gift they have. They think visually. They have fantastic emotional intelligence. It's no surprise that you know most of the great entrepreneurs in uh, the world um, are dyslexic and didn't do well at their GCSEs and A-levels or equivalent. Uh, but they've got all those other gifts. So to value these sorts of children, different intelligences, genuinely value them in our education system and exam system, not just verbally, I think is what we need to do. And if we have listeners here who are noticing that, you know, there was one child sort of pre-pandemic and since they've gone back to school and sort of re-entered the education system, they're just not quite the same and they seem to have suffered. What would you say is, what would you do? Do you talk to the school? How do you how do you deal with this? I mean, obviously they've matured. It's, it's a child that's two years older. So obviously they're going to change and they're going to go through different sort of fluctuations in their life. Hormones take, pay a big part in terms mm. of their sort of month by month um, behavior. But for parents who really have noticed a big difference mm. in their children post-pandemic, what, what would you do? Well, there are, there are many organisations and helplines outside school, but the first thing is to talk to the school, because the school actually has your child longer than you have your child normally. Um, and it's important to see whether this same change is seen in the, in the school as, as at home. Um, I think more schools are paying attention now, thankfully, to their counselling services. And we, have, we were very early on, many years ago, aware that just having... Uh, you know, a council in one afternoon a week down a corridor, uh, you know, w- was no good at all. That counselling had to be an integral part of school life, and it had to be destigmatised. Uh, and we have, we we did have place to be in the school, and now we've brought all that service into our school and we have counsellors in the school five days a week and we have a drop-in centre there in a beautiful well-being suite in a sort of tropical uh, Amazon forest with branches and tropical fish everywhere and well they're in a tank they're not on the floor and (laughs) and the children can come and come with their friends and just chat about anything small or come with something really big so destigmatizing anxiety and depression is incredibly important and allowing children to drop in. We offer that same service to all our staff because our children won't thrive unless our staff feel loved and supported. And we've just talked about the anxiety that they themselves have feel. And we also reach out to the parents too. So if children are being counselled within our school, then inevitably it's a family issue. That's particularly true of eating disorders. And so we'll bring the parents in as well. But the other thing that, that of course, is so important is, as we've touched upon, is is, is building independence and resilience because there's been a tendency because uh, over the last few weeks since we've started to open up and schools have realised how much mental health deterioration has been. Um, there was a double page spread in the Times yesterday, you know, talking about th- this um, fact. Um, it's being talked about so much that it's, of course, increasing anxiety. It's making parents terribly anxious. Children are reading and hearing about it and they're... So now no child sort of is just anxious they have an anxiety disorder and they go to our counseling service and they say i think i have an anxiety disorder and we say no you're just anxious and that's called being human it's just the human condition so getting proportion and perspective back is incredibly important in keeping things calm developing what we always used to be so good at here a sense of humor laughing at yourself a little bit not taking yourself all life too seriously though of course it is but you know there is as i as you mentioned right at the very beginning there is a glorious world out there exploring nature forest school for our younger children um the beauty and the fun must be rediscovered and so children need to take down the capital letters of anxiety and depression and 
and some of the jargon that's surrounding mental health now. You know, I'm having dark thoughts or I have suicidal ideation. I mean, you know, two or three years ago, a child wouldn't know to use that phrase. Now she goes, she knows it's the trigger that will get help. So she may not really have suicidal ideation, but she may be moderately unhappy and frightened. Uh, so to try and scale it down with them to where, what they really feel and to give them the words to describe what they feel because we have been worried about their emotional literacy. Social media with its uh, abbreviations uh, and, and its you know, um, simplistic language has taken away the nuances of what children are really feeling, the difference between I am feeling a bit anxious and I am desperate um, or I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed um, or I'm just feeling I'm tired, you know, these sorts of things. So we need to give them back their, the emotional language to deal with what they're feeling. Well, Lucy, thank you so much. It's been a real uh, pleasure speaking to you and lovely to hear such a sort of voice of reason um, and perspective <laughs> in what can often be, I think, a bit of a bizarre world, mm, you know, you. where it's also sort of so focused on grades and outcome rather than the people that we are you know teaching or, or bringing up yeah well thank you marina it's been a pleasure talking to you let's all try and be frodo shall we yes Go out. absolutely yeah. let's read a bit of the hobbit absolutely. <laughs> yeah actually and i found you know reading books together mm. that have a bit more of a message it allows us to have those conversations yes. and as you said you know you know giving them examples of we've just been reading um good night mr tom oh yeah and there's so many wonderful questions there and it it does put it into perspective you know yeah, exactly um so well thank Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. If you want to read um, a few more of Lucy's blogs, if you search Lucy Elphinstone, Francis Holland School, you can uh, read more about what she's writing, which I absolutely adore. Um, I'll link the website in the show notes. But um, thank you for listening to this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Lucy and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye-bye.